Thank you for tuning in this morning to the worship broadcast of Bowglade Alliance Church. Bowglade Alliance Church is located at 425 East Canal Street North in Bowglade uh, with live worship services every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information, visit us online at www.bowgladealliance.org. Now let's join Pastor Kevin for this morning's message. Again to our fathers, happy Father's Day. We are so glad that you are with us on this day. I know that many fathers may have said for Father's Day, all I want is to sleep in or to do nothing. And you all have decided to come and be a part of your church family. And so we're thankful for the opportunity to celebrate with you this morning. You know, fathers do have a lot of responsibilities. We got a couple weeks ago an opportunity to celebrate our mothers and all that they do. And fathers have a lot of responsibilities in the household. Here's just some that probably come to mind uh, very quickly for us. Uh, I know at least as a father, these are some of the things that I see as my primary responsibility in terms of my family. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is to protect to protect in so many ways. I'm the one who's concerned about the comings and goings of my kids and my wife and that everybody is okay and that the house is secure and that you know we're covered and I probably worry even more than my wife uh, because I'm paranoid sometimes, but hey, I don't want anything to happen to those I love. And fathers, we just take that upon ourselves to protect, not that mothers don't, uh, but we do as well. Uh, we want to provide you know, we want to make sure that we're doing all that we can to give everything we, we can to our family to be able to have and to, uh, to, to they're cared for. And so fathers, we certainly provide, and we provide discipline, right? Uh, and we model a good life. In fact, at our uh, graduation for Josh and his peers, uh, there was an opportunity for the graduates to share uh, about how their parents have influenced them thus far in their lives. And one of the themes that came up over and over again for fathers was how often the fathers not only taught or did these other things, but modeled the, the life that they wanted their, their children to lead. And so they, 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 they modeled a godly life. They modeled what it is to be a man, to be an adult, to be a, a caring parent, uh, and these are the things that stuck in the minds of several of the graduates as they were sharing about their family. Uh, and so that's just one of the things we do is we model and we prepare, right? Fathers want their, their sons, their daughters, their grandsons, their granddaughters to be ready for life, to, to have an opportunity to live the best life they can, uh, to be good people, good citizens. Those are just some of the things, uh, some of the responsibilities. Yes, mothers and fathers share a lot of these, but these are responsibilities that fathers also claim. We prepare sons and daughters, grandsons and granddaughters for life. And parents, both fathers and mothers, also have an ultimate responsibility, if you will, a responsibility beyond these things, which is our responsibility to raise up our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren in the knowledge of the Lord and in the truth of the gospel. In the knowledge of God and the truth of the gospel, perhaps among all the responsibilities that fathers and mothers share, this is the primary responsibility that has been entrusted to us. And so friends, whether you're a parent or you're a spiritual parent, let me define that for a moment. You know, there are, there are mothers and fathers 
There are grandmothers and grandfathers, and there are also those people who step in the gap and are like mothers or fathers or grandmothers or grandfathers to people who are not even their kids. There are people who step in the gap and are willing to invest in, sow in, parent, mentor, nurture the next generation, even if they're not biologically related to you. Uh, and so today I just want to say, friends, whether you're a parent or even a spiritual parent who can speak into the lives of young people, or if you're somebody who one day will become a parent or a spiritual parent, I believe that our study today, the passage we're going to be in, is especially important for us in this task of raising up the next generation in the knowledge of God and in the truth of the gospel. And so we're going to look at two passages together today. Our first passage is from the book of Judges. And so if you have your Bibles in front of you, please turn to Judges chapter 2. And as you do that, I want to just set up this passage for us this morning. I want to remind you of some relevant historical facts so you know where we are in history, where we are in the Old Testament, as you get to Judges chapter 2. So if you remember, back in Genesis, God made a promise with a man named Abraham. He promised to, he made a covenant with him, a contract with him that was for him, for his children, and for his children's children, for all of his ancestors, all of his descendants, rather. Uh, this would be a binding promise for all time to the children of Abraham. And so we know that he promised them this land, he prom uh, the land of Israel. He promised to be the God of Abraham and his descendants uh, and, to, and to be faithful to them throughout their existence. We know that prior to the passage we're in today, Israel was in slavery in Egypt. They were in Egypt for about 400 years, and toward the tail end of that time, a pharaoh came to power that didn't know the history of this people and enslaved them because he was afraid that they might join with their enemies and take over. And God came in and rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. We know that God has continued, even after saving this people from slavery in Egypt, has continued to reaffirm the promise he made to their ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he will give them this land, and that he will be their God, and that blessings will fall on them. And so God continually brings that to bear. And here, just before the book of Judges, and this passage we're going to be in is going to kind of summarize this, God makes good on his promise. God's been promising this land. Your people will inherit this land. And when he made that promise to Abraham, it wasn't their land. It was other people lived there, wicked people. And God said he was going to bring them in to dispossess that people and take this land for themselves. It is a gift of God to them. And God made good on his promise. And so our passage today shows what takes place between that generation that receives that promise that God's been making for hundreds of years. They're the ones who get to take hold of what God has promised. He makes good on his promise. What happens between that generation and their kids, the very next generation? So again, if you're in Judges, we're going to start chapter 2, verse 6. Here's what it says. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. 
The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him, who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. Verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. And they were in great distress. You know, if you've read the book of Judges, it's not a happy book. And it doesn't even start out happy. This is chapter 2, starting at verse 6. And the calamity that we see take place here continues throughout the entire book. My son and I had the opportunity to read this book together. And many times we stopped and were like, man, this is not a happy book. There's some crazy stuff that happens. And I think the craziest part is this. That the fathers went to war as God commanded them and took possession of the land that God had promised them. They had received this great gift. God had proved himself faithful. They were the ones to experience the reception of this gift that God's been promising. And their children did not even know who God was, what he had done for Israel, or even what God expected of his people. Clearly, there is a problem. And we see some of the symptoms, right? Right in our, a few verses we read here. Israel, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forsook their God. And we see several examples of them worshiping false gods. But the underlying cause is right there in verse 10. If you have your Bibles open, look at it right there. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. They didn't know God. They didn't know what he'd done for Israel. They didn't know the law. They, they had absolutely no knowledge of God. And so they did not feel compelled to be obedient and faithful to him. And again, this is one generation after the generation that took possession of the land. So how could this be? Let's be honest. Does this seem like really stark, like really in your face? Like, like how on earth is that even possible? That, how shameful that is. So like, you know, I want to try to think of it from maybe Joshua's generation's perspective here. Um, perhaps Joshua's generation was so focused on receiving God's promise that they neglected this responsibility to raise their sons and daughters in the knowledge of God. And maybe they had some excuses. Maybe they had excuses like maybe we have excuses for some of our shortcomings in life. They were busy. And so that's one I use all the time. 
When I, when, I, when I don't do what I'm supposed to do, the number one excuse that pops into my mind is I am busy. So maybe that was it for them. They were busy, let's face it. They were constantly at war, constantly at war, fighting battles against the Canaanites and establishing their territory. And then they were taking hold of this new land and setting up their existence in this new context. They were busy. There probably legitimately was not a moment since they started the invasion of Canaan that they weren't busy. So maybe that's their excuse. Maybe their excuse is they were doing what God told them to do. Let's face it, right? Remember, God is the one who commanded them to take possession of the land. It's, it's not like they were doing their own thing. They were doing what God had called them to do. Maybe, maybe that's their excuse. Hey, we were doing what God told us to do, right? One could argue that these seem like valid excuses, but I don't think they actually are. Did God provide them with any sort of instruction, perhaps, of raising up their children? Should Josh's generation have been concerned with the generation that came after them? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, turn with me to our second passage for today, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 1. And before we read it, let me just make sure we understand what's happening here. This is God speaking through Moses, who's been leading the people through this entire time from the Exodus until right up to when they were about to take possession of the land. And God had already given the law. God had been with Israel during this wilderness wandering in the desert, right? And, and now he's preparing them to take possession of the land. And so this is God's instruction through Moses to this people that's about to go to battle and about to take possession of the land. And this is among the most important pieces of instruction he's giving to this people. Here's what it says. If you have your Bibles with you, flip, follow with me. Deuteronomy 6, starting at verse 1. It says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you might enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you didn't build, houses with all kinds of good things you didn't provide, wells you didn't dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you didn't plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only. Take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. 
Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he's given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you as the Lord said. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we're careful to obey all, his, all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Friends, it doesn't take a Bible study genius to figure out there's a major disconnect between the instruction given to Israel to the parents, to the fathers, to the mothers, right before taking possession of the land, and what they actually did as they were raising their children in the midst of the conquest of the land. Here's just a couple observations from our passage today. In preparation for taking possession of the land, the Lord gave this instruction because he cared about this people. Let's remember this. God didn't want to bring hardships on them. God wanted them to thrive. God gave made good on his promise so that he could bless them in this land. And he gave this instruction that they might do right by him, by each other, and to be able to be blessed in this land in the fulfillment of the promise that he gave them. God is good. And he gave that so that they'd be able to have peace and blessing, not just for that generation, but for every subsequent generation. In fact, we see this right in the first three verses. It says, these are the commands that he gave. Verse two, so that, your, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord and that they may enjoy long life. This was for them. And if they had followed this instruction, perhaps the book of Judges wouldn't be in our Bible. Or if it was, it would be a much happier book to read. And at the heart of this instruction is this. It's not about the law, it's about the lawgiver. At the heart of this instruction is who God is. In fact, if they understood and taught their children who God is, they, would, they wouldn't follow after all these false gods, which God warned against and which they, in fact, did. Why do I say that? Why, if they knew who God was, if they had paid attention, why is it that perhaps they wouldn't go look after other gods? I say that because of the motivations, perhaps, that cause them to look after the false gods. So here they are in the land, right? And they need their crops to be fertile. They need their wives to have babies. So what do they do? They need, to, they, they need fertility. And instead of knowing who God was and trusting in God for their crops and for their next generation, they pray to the gods of fertility like their neighbors. They needed strength in battle to be able to keep their enemies at bay. But instead of knowing who God was and trusting that he had Israel's future in his hands, they called after gods of war 
just like their neighbors, because perhaps these gods of war might give them victory in battle. And so because they had no idea who God actually was, they sought false gods in order to care for these basic needs of the people in this world. And so the instruction that Moses gave on behalf of God to Israel, that they might know who God is, was key. So who is God? One of the other things we see in this text is a beautiful picture that he is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In fact, he is the one. No matter what your need, no matter what area of life you need provision in, you need protection in, you need victory in, there is no area of life, there is no need that Israel or anybody else in humanity can find fulfillment in outside of God because all of it is God's domain. And we see this reminder, this instruction in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You don't have to search for other gods. There aren't any. God is the creator and sustainer of all things. There is no point in seeking someone else or something else. He is it, and he is sufficient. He has been Israel's faithful God from beginning to end. We see this in Deuteronomy 6 too. Who is God? God is not only over everything, God has personally been faithful to Israel throughout its history, from beginning to end. He was the one who called and covenanted with their ancestor Abraham. He's the one who cared for Israel's ancestors, providing for them in the wilderness. He's the one who led Israel out of slavery to one of the most powerful nations on earth at the time, Egypt, and God broke the back of Pharaoh in Egypt and rescued his people from an impossible situation. God has been faithful. He's the one who makes and keeps promises. He's the one who is giving them this land that he had promised to their ancestors. God is faithful to his people. Who is God? He is the one who gives the law. God is the very standard of good. In and of himself, he is the standard of good. He calls his people to live a certain way for their good, for the good of others, and for God's glory. It benefits everyone when they live the way their creator calls them to live. This passage highlights all of these things, and it is the Israelites' responsibility not just to embrace these truths of who God is, but also to pass that on to their children. In fact, that's my final observation about this passage, that they are to model and to teach about God and about his law to their children and to make sure that their children pass it on to their children. In this command, it becomes evident that the failings of the next generation that we read about in Judges uh, is not just the fault of that generation that followed other gods, that did what was wicked in the Lord's sight, but it was also the failure of the parents to pass this on to their children. Again, Judges 2.10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. We've looked at Israel's shortcomings in this area 
Friends, it begs the question, what about ours? And there are many things that we all, every one of us, wish we could go back in time and do better at. Raise your hand if there's something that you just wish you could go back and just change one thing in your, that you've done or didn't do in your life. All of us, right? Yeah. Man, I could, I could write a whole book, a very thick book, of all the things I wish I had done differently in life. Um, God doesn't give us that opportunity to go back and do it again. Uh, I'd probably mess it up the second, third, and fourth time around as well. Um, but there's all those things like that in all of our lives. We, we, there's many things that if we can go back and do things differently, especially when it comes to our kids, when it comes to our grandkids, there's things we wish we had done differently, right? And there's reasons for that. Maybe, maybe we were too busy at work or with other aspects of life that we, we didn't train up our kids, at least the way we, we now know we should have, in the knowledge of God and in the truth of the gospel. Maybe, maybe if we had a chance to go back and do it again, you know, we, we would make sure that we reprioritize some things. Maybe we ourselves didn't get serious with the Lord until our kids were grown. It was too late. By the time we understood, by the time we took this seriously, by the time God got a hold of our hearts, the opportunity had passed and our influence over our kids was not what it was once before. And so because of that, we just didn't have the opportunity. Maybe we just didn't know how to go about it. Maybe we did the best we could with what we had. Maybe we brought them to church, that we did whatever seemed the thing to do for Christians who had kids at the time. And, and, but we just didn't know how to go about raising our kids in the knowledge of God and in the truth of the gospel. Maybe there are several of us who did the best we could, and despite our best intentions and despite our best efforts, still our kids made decisions that we're not pleased with. And we wish that they would have made better decisions, but we really couldn't think of anything else that we could have done. At this point, it was their decision. And friends, I know that this represents many of us, if not all of us in this room to some degree. Friends, I want to start by saying this, that God forgives all of our failings. I want to start by saying that. God forgives all of our failings. Jesus' death on the cross atones for all sin, all shortcomings, all failings in every area of life, including these. And second, that God is powerful enough to overcome the consequences of our failures. I'll say that again. God is powerful enough to overcome the consequences of our shortcomings and our failures. Our children, our grandchildren are, are not too far out of reach for God because we messed up. God is bigger than our failings. God is bigger than our sin. God is bigger than our shortcomings. God is bigger than our ignorance. Thank God, because I'm probably among the most ignorant. God's power is bigger than the consequences of our failings. And so if we find ourselves in this camp, we need to trust in the forgiveness of the Lord and in his power to reach our loved ones. However, whether we've missed this opportunity with our own kids or we don't have kids or we don't have kids yet, we have an important lesson to learn going forward. We have an important opportunity before us and something important to take out of this text and this 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 the situation that we've looked at in Israel's history. You know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. You all have heard my story, and I won't belabor it here today. 
but I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Not a single person in my family at all was a Christian when I came to faith in Jesus. As you can imagine, I did not have parents who brought me up in the knowledge of God and in the truth of the gospel at all. So if you think, man, I could have done it better, my parents didn't do it at all. So let's just remember that. But even when my mom came to faith, which thank God she did, it was after me and we were baby Christians together. She still didn't know how to be a Christian mother. So who raised me in the knowledge of God and in the truth of the gospel? I wouldn't be a pastor today if there weren't people who stood in the gap and spoke into my life and taught me and modeled for me who God was and how, as a Christian, I'm to live for God. It wasn't my mom, it wasn't my dad, and it wasn't my grandparents. It was people in my church family who loved me and served as spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers in my life when I needed them most. And friends, that opportunity is before all of us today, regardless of what opportunities we've had in the past. Maybe we were the best Christian parents on earth. Maybe we weren't. At this point going forward, if we have children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, your responsibility is still to them. But there are people in our church, people in our community, who we can be spiritual parents to and heed this instruction that the Lord has for his people. We have students in our youth ministry who love Jesus. But if I'm being completely honest, most of them do not have uh, family members who are faithful, committed, say, you know, dedicated Christians who are teaching them that they are parroting them in the knowledge of God and in the truth of the gospel. Now, that's not true for all of them, but it's true for some of them. They need spiritual parents in the same way I needed spiritual parents. And so I encourage you, maybe God is calling you to that. We have children in our water program, again, some which come from non-Christian homes. This is the only time they hear about Jesus. This is the only time they hear about salvation. This is the only time they hear that God loves them. This is the only time they receive biblical instruction. They don't come on Sunday. They don't hear it at home. They hear it here, and they need spiritual dads and moms to be here to speak into their life, or nobody will. We have Christians perhaps in this room right now who've been suck, stuck in the same spot in their Christian walk for far too long. They're stuck in their discipleship. They don't know how to move forward. They're stuck in their sanctification. There's things that God just hasn't seemed to remove and they need people, spiritual brothers and sisters, spiritual moms and dads to walk alongside them in their discipleship. Friends, this Instruction. Yes, it was given to Israel for that time and for every subsequent generation. But I assure you, God calls us to no less than that. That which we have been blessed to receive, we are also blessed to be able to pass on to others. And I can give you countless examples from the New Testament as well. God calls us to be fathers and mothers to others, to be brothers and sisters, to be faithful friends, to be mentors and disciple makers in our midst. Who is God calling you to do today? What can you do to make sure that we are raising up godly men and women 
in this church to serve God in this world, who will then take what they've learned from you and pass it on to others so that they might go and pass it on to others.